0: Good morning. Good morning. Austin, Shelley. thank you for playing that song. I had no idea it was in the key of, ah! <laughs> I mean, that was incredible. When I, I've heard it on CDs, I've seen it, you know, performed on television, it didn't seem to be that high. <clears throat> so I appreciate uh, you, you reaching for those notes. That was, that was incredible. I have written 36 books. Tomorrow, by end of business tomorrow, I'm supposed to turn in my 37th book to my publisher. He already has my 38th book, which comes out in a couple of years. And my agent's talk to me talking to me about my 39th book. That's oh I don't know, that's that's thousands of pages, tens of thousands of words, and all of them are an extended attempt to just make the point that the song makes. I'm always trying to say it in fewer and fewer words. Peter Yarrow said it beautifully in, I don't know how many words this is, but in this this single song. I'm always looking to say it in fewer words. I'm always looking to find the word, the phrase that puts my whole philosophy in, in a single statement. He does it here in a single song. And this song has become, since I first heard it in 72, really has become the soundtrack of my whole philosophy. And in Talk Back, what I'm hoping to discuss with you is what's the soundtrack of yours. Now, maybe for some of you, it's what's love got to do with it? (laughs) Maybe that's the song, of your. I don't know. But whatever it is, maybe you'll, you'll share what the song that is the soundtrack of your life. But this is the soundtrack of mine. 24 years ago, 2000, I walked into Peter, Paul, and Mary's office in Venice, California. I was working in Los Angeles. A friend of mine lives in Venice. I found out that their office was just a couple blocks from her apartment. So I walked down to their office assuming that. I mean, who would not want to talk to me? Because I'm famous. So I walked in and I wanted to talk to Peter Yarrow about this song. He doesn't work in the office. I mean, they were too famous to actually. They had an office, they had hired someone who worked in the office, but it wasn't either, you know, any, you know, the three of them. But I walked in, I said I wanted to talk about the song, I want to talk about using the song for a foundation I wanted to start called the One River Foundation because there's only one river, right? And they said, well, he doesn't work here, but we'll get in touch with him. And they got back to me and they said, Peter Yarrow said I could use the song. So I have this thing called the One River Foundation, OneRiver.org. OneRiverFoundation.org. I never did much with it, but it's been on, you know, it's been on the internet for all those years. Uh, One of the things that we did do is we published this book, The World Wisdom Bible, where we, I don't know how many pages (laughs) it is, but we did another 150, 160 pages trying to say what he said in this one song. A couple of weeks ago, I was, well, almost a month ago, I guess, I was in the Bahamas teaching at a Hindu ashram over Christmas. Christmas. Because what else do you do if you're Jewish (laughs) over Christmas? Either you eat Chinese food or you go to the Bahamas to a Hindu center. So this year, most years I eat Chinese food. This year I went to the ashram. And at the ashram, I don't know how Peter Yarrow came up in a conversation, but I was having a conversation and the person I was having a conversation with turned out to be a friend of Peter Yarrow's. And I mentioned that I had permission to use the song, but I never actually got to thank him in person. So she said oh, let me get you in touch with him. So we've been, uh, Peter Yarrow and I have been conversing via, via email, and the whole point of the conversation was just me going, Peter Yarrow, Peter Yarrow, thank you so much for this song. And he was very gracious, and we thought we might get together on Zoom, but I've never set up a Zoom conversation, and so that has not yet happened. Anyway. Talking with him about the song and bringing brought the song back into the forefront of my, my consciousness. And I thought we should discuss it because it does encapsulate what I think is not just the message for all time, but a message that is essential to this time and one that isn't getting enough airplay. And I don't mean literally on the radio, just. In our discussions about what's happening so I'm not I don't want to go into discussion of politics I certainly don't want to talk about Israel and Gaza and Palestine and all that stuff but it does start out with the first line River of Jordan and you know there's this whole Palestinian chant from the from the river to the sea Palestine Palestine will be free which is a call for the liberation of Palestine over the dead bodies of six to seven million Israelis. So it's not one of my favorite chants, right? It's not something I call for. I'm in favor of a two-state solution. I think there should be a Palestinian state. There should have been a Palestinian state in 1948. But I'm not looking to destroy seven million Israeli lives. And neither is Peter Yarrow. So let's take a look. If you have the paper, I want to go through this with you. Because I think the message here is the answer to every problem we've got. But it's not one that most people want to deal with. Most people can accept. But Unitarians can. If you're not a, I guess we call it a you know, Unitarian in name only. (laughs) If you're a real Unitarian. So I traveled the banks of the River of Jordan to find where it flows to the sea. So here's the first thing. We think of the river of Jordan as this boundary. You're on one side or the other side, but he's not interested in boundaries. What's he doing? He's following the bank to the source. I travel the banks to where it flows to the sea. He's looking for the source of the river of Jordan, but ultimately the source of life, as he's gonna show us in a second. And while he's traveling looking for the source, on his journey, he looks into the eyes of the cold and the hungry and I saw I was looking at me. So what he discovers is that whomever we look at, we see ourselves, but not ourselves with the small s, but ourselves with the capital S, right? We've talked about that before. The lowercase s self is the ego. If I look at you, I don't see me. I mean, that would be ridiculous, right? I look at Austin, I see Austin. If I saw me, then I'm beyond a narcissist. I don't know what you'd call it if I saw all of you simply as reflections of me. I mean, that would be, I don't know what the disease would be, (laughs) that 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 would, that would, uh, (laughs) Alzheimer's, (laughs) <laughs> Alzheimer's, <laughs> no, Alzheimer's, I don't even see me anymore, I don't know what that would be, but, but it would be a terrible disease. So we're not talking about seeing one another from that small egoic self. He's moving toward the source, and as you move toward the source, which is the ultimate capital S source, the divine reality, whatever you want to call it, we, we, the closer we get, the less of the little self we are, and the, greater, the more of the greater self we realize ourselves to be. So this is from the Gospel of Eve, which is not a gospel you find in the New Testament. It's a gospel that the the official Christian guardians of Christianity, the official guardians of Christianity reject. All the great gospels are rejected. (laughs) But anyway, so this is one of the rejected gospels. This is the Gospel of Eve. Eve writes, I am you and you are me, the big S, okay? I am you and you are me. And where you are, there I am. So Eve is identifying as the cosmic reality, as the big S, as the divine. I am you where you are me. Where you are, there, there I am. I am sown into all things. So the divine is sown into everything. And when you gather me, it is you yourself whom you gather. I mean, it's a little, it's easier to see it on the page than to just hear it. But when you gather me, when you gather the divine, it's not like you're gathering something that doesn't include you. You also gather yourself. So when he saw the eyes of the cold and the hungry, and you could also say when you look into the eyes of the warm and the well-fed, when you look into the eyes of the human and the non-human, the sanction and the non-sanction, the animate and the inanimate, though I don't think there's any such thing as really inanimate, everything is vibrating. But when you look into the eyes or you see anything at all, you're looking into both, the. you're seeing yourself, but from that cosmic perspective. You're seeing the me that is everything. Does that that make sense, you follow? You may not believe it or accept it, but you understand what I'm saying? Everything is a manifesting of the one thing, and so when I look at anything deeply, I'm going to see that one thing. And that's what you know, the Gospel of Eve from, oh, uh, well, let's see, what are we, 20, uh, 2,000 almost 2,000 years ago, Gospel of Eve is, is telling us the same thing. Then he says, Peter Yarrow, I wanted to know if life had a purpose and what it all means in the end. In the silence, I listened to voices inside me and they told me again and again. So we'll get to the chorus in a second. He doesn't get an answer though. I wanted to know if, there's a, if, uh, if, if life had a purpose and what it all means in the end. He doesn't go to authorities. He's walking toward the source because he's looking for life's purpose. If he came to me, and we haven't had this discussion on the internet, but if he asked me, you know, does life have a purpose, my answer is no. Life has no purpose. Because if life had a purpose, then you'd have life and the purpose of life, and they're two different things. Life is its own purpose. There's no separation. Living is its own reward. And then he, said, then he, he, said, he goes on to say, uh, I want to know if life has a purpose. I'm saying life is its own purpose. And what it all means in the end, I'm, I would say there's no end. There's an end to you, there's an end to me. But when we realize we are the sea, and not just the river that flows into it, when we realize that we're the capital S self, when we realize we are the source, there is no end. It's not that Rami lives on forever. I mean, that would be incredibly boring. But Rami dies. There is an end to Rami thank goodness (laughs) 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 but there's no end to the source that is me right that can't end that continues to birth and die and birth and die because that's what it is it's the Tao it's the the infinite creative uh, complex energy of, of reality it can't be created or destroyed it just but it creates and destroys in and of itself, doesn't do any of that, by it, you know, it itself isn't created or destroyed, but it is constantly in the act of creating and destroying. So how do you find that out? He's walking the banks to find the source, he's working, he's, he's walking externally, but ultimately he has to turn inward and listen to the silence within him. The answers are always inside. The World Wisdom Bible, as an example, is an anthology of teachings from outside. Texts from every religious tradition that I could find. But ultimately, they're just words that somebody else heard. We have to hear them ourselves. And that's what he does in the song. And what, what he hears is not life's purpose. What he hears is not what it all means in the end. What he hears is something far more profound. He hears the very nature of reality. There's only one river, there's only one sea, and it flows through you and it flows through me. Now, that is, I don't know if you could write it any other way that would work poetically. So I'm gonna give him the benefit of the poetic doubt. It's still too dualistic for me personally. It doesn't flow through you. It flows as you. All right? But I'm not going to argue that point. Just know that I'm right and he's wrong. But okay. There's only one people. Right? This is the problem. There aren't Israelis and Palestinians. I don't know if anyone saw what I wrote about the, the, the madness in Gaza. But you can't there's no difference between the, the the butchered babies the babies butchered by the, the Hamas terrorists and the babies burned you know bombed and butchered by the Israeli army. I mean you can make all kinds of philosophical debates about what was what what's proportional, what's not, and but forget all of that. Those are all arguments imposed upon the reality of dead babies. Dead babies are dead babies. They're not Jewish or or Muslim. They're not Israeli or Palestinian. They're dead babies. They're the same. The reason we treat them differently has nothing to do with their existential reality. The reason we treat them differently is because we label them differently. Oh, those are my babies, those are their babies if we stop saying those are my babies and their babies and we just said those are human babies and I'm a human, it's still not big enough because then we do horrible things to other babies. Baby elephants, you know, baby giraffes, baby deer, baby cats, baby, right? But that's, that's for another talk. But just dealing with humans, they're baby humans. It says something horrible about us that we can cry about our babies and not about their babies. I don't know if anyone's heard the tape of the Gazan, I mean, they're boys. You know, and, and the soldiers are boys, not just anymore. They, they've got girl, girls in the army in combat now, too, in Israel. But they're, they're just kids. They're older teens and early 20s. They're just kids. And they're fighting and they're dying and they're killing, or they're fighting and they're killing and they're dying. And there's a tape because it's on a guy called his mom. He just killed 10 Israelis and he calls home and he's so excited he has to tell his mom. I mean, it's like you won something and you want to tell your parents and you're so excited about it. And you can hear the tape, it's in Arabic, but it's been translated. But all you have to hear is forget what he says, he's just so excited. Ma, look what I did. And his mother's response isn't, come home. His mother's response is, Allahu Akbar. God is great. Right? Now, I'm not talking about Islam. I'm talking about human madness. You find the same God is great mentality on the other side in Jewish supremacy on the West Bank. Right. So this is not a Muslim versus Jew. This is human madness employing, uh, creating a mad god called by different names that's used to oppress other people. Just finished building that Ram temple in India on, on the site of a mosque, which was on the site of a Ram temple back in the, I forget what sanctuary it was when, when the Muslims came into India. It's the same thing, and they're so excited that they're, you know, putting down the Muslims uh, in India. It's just an invention. Somebody made up Ram. Somebody made up Allah. Someone made up yud Somebody made up all these gods for the sole purpose of putting down the other gods that somebody else made up. He hears something different. Our traveler on the banks of the Jordan. He hears that we're, there's only, not that we're only, just there's only one river. There's only one sea. It flows through you. There's only one people. Humanity. We're one and the same until someone tells you differently. We're all one spirit. We're all one name. There's a wonderful book. I don't know if you know who Abraham Joshua Heschel was. Great prophet in the 20th century rabbi, marched with Martin Luther King, that's why people who aren't Jewish know him, but he was a great scholar, great rabbi. His first book was, uh, I guess in English you'd call it uh, Human, I guess I'm, I'm making it up how it would work in English, but Human, colon, the name of God. And it's a series of poems saying that humanity is the name of God. There's a whole Kabbalistic thing behind it, but regardless. Uh, we are divine beings. It says um, we're all one and the same. We're all one spirit. We're all one name. The name is the holy name of God, you know, beyond all the names that we've invented. We are the father, mother, daughter, and son. Just one quick thing. I don't even know how long I've been talking. So in the book, the secret book of John, because you can read the gospel of John, but this is the secret one that no one wants you to read. Another one of the hidden gospels. Uh, God says, I am with you always. I am the father. And that's usually as far as Christianity wants to go. But in the secret book of John, I am the father. I am the mother. I am the son. Then he stops, sadly. I am the incorruptible, which in the mystic world means I am the unnameable, ultimately. But he at least he puts the mother in there, which is nice for a change. So Peter Yarrow goes farther, and he says, We are the father, mother, daughter, and son. From the dawn of creation, we are one. In the rabbinic commentaries to the Bible, so you know, one in the second creation story of people, in, this, in the second chapter of Genesis. In the first chapter of Genesis, God makes multiple people, male and female. In the second story of the creation of, of humans in Genesis 2, God creates just one person, uh, androgynous, male and female in one body, and makes the, that person, Adam means earthling, make, not Adam, guy's name, it's Adam means earthling, and makes the earthling from the earth, from the dirt of the earth. And then the rabbis say, well, what color was the Adam? And their answer was, and I, I'll never remember all the colors, but God took uh, all the different colors of earth, and there are colors that I could never think of, but it's, it was white, black, brown, green, red, and maybe I'm missing a couple, but green. Yeah. No, yeah. Yellow, but green earth? I never heard of that. But anyway, just, they, they go through a list of colors. So you had this what would you call like, it, madras person? I don't know what color the, the, the original Adam was. But they, they said that God created one, so no one could say they were first, and the rest came later. And it was androgynous, so men can't say we came first, and then women came second. In, in the English translations in the Christian Bible, women are taken from the earthling's rib, but in the Hebrew it doesn't say that. It says from the, the earthling's side, because they were really conjoined twins, is one way to look at it and they were separated, uh, and then turned to face each other, and they go, oh, wow, look at this. Uh, tab A fits into slot B, and now they understand the whole thing. So, um, but they see a, 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 a unity that hadn't been there, that, that um, they see a unity implicit in the text. So then he says, from the dawn of creation, we are one, we are one. Every blade of grass on the mountain, every drop of the sea, every cry of a newborn baby, every prayer to be free, every hope at the end of a rainbow, every song, every song is a part of the family of woman and man. And that means everyone. And then he goes back to the the chorus. We are one river, we are only one sea. If people could know that, that we are all one, everything would be different. The only reason we have the problems we have The only reason we have the problems we have is that we resist knowing that truth. The only thing religion should be teaching is that oneness. But they don't. They teach the opposite. They teach uniqueness. Jews are God's chosen. The Christians are God's saved. Muslims are the true believers everyone else is an infidel right everyone's got their little shtick going that's what they teach but if they taught this everything would be different but the only ones that teach something like this are unitarians and there's only a handful of unitarians because nobody wants to hear this Because there's no, here's the end, because there's no winners. Not that Unitarians are losers, (coughs) but because you can't win. If everyone is one, if God is everything, if there's only one river, nobody gets to own it. If there's only one sea and includes all of us, nobody gets to own it. And everybody wants to own it. And so nobody wants to hear the message. Until either you all get a louder megaphone, (laughs) or things get so bad that maybe humanity is willing to listen, though I doubt that ever happens. I'm not optimistic. But I'm optimistic that there's an answer. I'm not optimistic that we're ever going to hear it. But until we do, things are just going to get, as Leonard Cohen says, if you want it darker, it's going to get darker. But the light is right there if we wanted to hear it. So I'm grateful to all of you for keeping that alive. And again, Austin for playing it, Shelley for probably having to have throat surgery for trying to sing it uh, at, that, at that note. But I want to come back for, for TalkBack. You can comment on the song, what, we, what I shared. And also, what song speaks to you? What's, what's your, your life's soundtrack? Thank you.